Welcome to Long Story Long. I'm your host, Lisa Curry. Today's guest is my friend, my friend, my acquaintance, my <laughs> far off friend. Sure. Yeah, Oscar nominated screenwriter, podcaster, and new dad, uh, Josh Olson. Josh, hi. Hey, thanks Lisa. for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm very um, thrilled and flattered to be here. Yeah, it's nice to see you. Um, uh, you're you so you're a new dad, which seems dad. like the hardest of those three things. Uh, <laughs> ah, it's fun. It's the best. How old's your kid? Uh, he's seven months old. Oh yeah, that's uh, well, that's a good time because he's not crawling and getting into things and yeah. eating poison yet. So yes. that's he. He's literally he's the most harder. cheerful kid in the world. He is stunningly gorgeous. I, um, I had uh, a friend of mine get very annoyed with me. They were. It was my sister. We were back home, and she's telling me this story about somebody else she knows who's got a kid. And she goes, you know, their kid is really beautiful. She's like, not as beautiful as Miles. And I said, yeah, I know. <laughs> and she was like, you can't do that. I'm like, I know, yeah, but. Yeah. Did you see when Barbara Walters passed, somebody posted a story that she had said in an interview, uh, if someone introduces her to their baby and she thinks it's an ugly baby, she just goes, wow, that's a baby. Yes. <laughs> I was like, it's terrible yeah. how shallow you become because I remember um, uh, we are we are we are late in life parents. Um, he's he's adopted when we first we got him. We were there when he was born, and we had to spend mm -hmm. a couple of weeks in St. Louis uh, just going through the sort of you know waiting for legal rigmaroles to go. Sure. And we're sitting in a hotel for two weeks, literally just binge watching TV shows with our new baby. And something happened. I turned into this terrible. Like anytime there was a baby on a show, I would judge it. <laughs> We were watching something. I probably shouldn't even say because it's like, I mean, you know, it's somebody's real baby. But we were watching this show and there's this couple and baby wakes up and the, the father goes and picks up and they hold the baby up on the camera. And I literally, I went, oh, God, that's ugly. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. Our kid's so cute. Look, it, it, it has a lifetime to change that around. And to be that's fair, true. I only have and probably will only ever have a dog. And, you know, I take her to obedience class. And when the other dogs are failing, like, I'll whisper to her. I'm like, look at this fucking That's right. schmuck. Exactly. Cashew. Can't exactly. <laughs> sit. Kidding me? Yes. Fucking yes. stupid dog. Yep. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think I think it's good to know, you know, are, are we allowed to quote Clint Eastwood movies in 2023? I don't know. <laughs> I'm older. But, you know, uh, from, from the great Magnum Force written by either Michael Cimino uh, or, um, actually, I think Michael Cimino wrote this line, uh, but a man's got to know his limitations. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay to your, for you to acknowledge that your dog is better than other dogs. That's mm -hmm. all. You got to know when your dog's yeah. not up to what other dogs are doing. Yeah. So it, it's, yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. You got the best, you got the Which, best dog. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I think so. Um, yeah. well, <laughs> listen, should, I taught yeah. her left from right, so that's pretty significant. Seriously? Swear to Christ. How, do, how, how does this manifest? When, when she was a puppy, I now I'm getting really off track, but when she was a puppy, she wasn't vaccinated yet, but I wanted to, you're not supposed to take them outside and let them in the grass because of disease. But like a friend of mine was like, oh, you can, as long as you wipe her paws really thoroughly afterwards. And I'm like, oh, got it. Because I'm like, I'm not going to pee pad train her and then try to get her. No, we're just going outside. So I would come in and I would wipe her paws. And as I was doing it, I would say like left hand, right hand, left foot, right foot. And wow. I did that. And then I taught her to walk on my left. And then I started teaching her to walk on my right. But now if like we come to an intersection, I'll say, all right, turn left. And she'll hang a left. It's so, it's, wow. I love it. It's my favorite thing. Uh, wow. 
my can't do- my dog figure can't out how to that. teach her to crawl, but yeah. My kid, my kid can't do that either. So, you know. <laughs> listen, my parents can't do it. So, <laughs> so wait, where were you? This is a great show. Grow up? Oh yeah, <laughs> this is yeah. This is everyone's like, okay, what the fuck? <laughs> um, uh, Philadelphia. I grew up in Philadelphia. In Philadelphia, by the way, I don't know if like some oh. of your listeners know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're from Philly and you go out in the world. And you meet people and they go, I'm from Philly, and they mean they're from the suburbs. Yeah, I'm they mean from they're from West like middle Philadelphia. Pennsylvania. I grew yeah. up on buses. I grew up in the city. I grew up getting off the school bus. That wasn't a school bus. The school bus I took to school when I was a kid was a SEPTA bus, the 31. And I would get off of it when I was in, in like sixth grade. Uh, I would get off of it, and it dropped you off in front of three triple X-rated movie theaters. So I'm from <laughs> I'm from Philadelphia. <laughs> I mean that sounds that sounds like you know city life yeah for yes. for kids. Um, yeah. I love Philly. Yeah, how was it growing up there? It was great. I mean, you you, you never know. It's just like it's it is your yeah. life, you know. And then you go visit other places, and you get a sense of you know. I go visit my grandmother's, uh, one of whom lived in uh, uh, Illinois, and the other in the suburbs suburbs of Massachusetts, and you get mm-hmm. a sense of like how other people lived in places. Yeah. There were no kids in my Massachusetts grandmother's neighborhood. It seemed like it was like an old folks community, even though it was not. Sure. But, but <laughs> I'd go to Illinois and you'd meet other kids and, and you know, they had guns, which of yeah, course, you wild. know, when you're 11, is like fucking awesome. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> this is cool. I even, I've, I've been shot. Like, so. What? Uh, You've been well, shot? I shot myself. Yeah. I, I, okay. <laughs> I, I shot a. <laughs> That's um, a little bit different. Uh, no, it was a, a 20, what is it, a 22 uh, yeah, air rifle. Not an air rifle, a small, like, yeah, you know, I guess 22 caliber rifle. And we would shoot at bottles on train tracks. Uh-huh. And here's the thing with train tracks. Mm-hmm. If you know this, they're made of very sturdy steel. Mm-hmm. And so if you shoot them with something like a bullet, it will bounce off. And so I got, I shot myself in the knee because I missed a no. bottle. Oh, and fuck. it really is a straight out of Chris's story. You're like, I can't, can't what if I, if I tell my dad, I'm going to get in so much shit. <laughs> Wait, but, how old were you? I don't know, like twelve or something. It was ridiculous. Do you just walk it off then, or did you? Kind of. <laughs> well, it was it was very shallow. I managed to actually pull out the 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 the, show, the whatever the bullet, I guess, and and mm-hmm. bandage it, and um, uh, nobody noticed, and it didn't get infected, and I didn't die, thank God. But yeah, That's I told hilarious. him about it years later. He was pretty pissed. I had not told him. Yeah, I uh, I mean, I like wrecked my car and just parked in the driveway backwards for months. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> my mom was like, what happened to your trunk? Somebody must have hit you. I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah, that, I didn't notice that. that. Wow. It's completely crumbled in. Wow. I didn't even see it. <laughs> the kids, yeah, I think about, I think now about the shit that your perspective changes when you have a kid. And I'm like, oh, my God, mm-hmm. the things he's going to do mm-hmm. that are so fucking terrifying. <laughs> so yeah. fucking terrifying. I, I can't believe yeah. Uh, yeah <laughs> well by the time he's you know 12 there won't be trees anymore so like that eliminates a lot of riffraff I, we have this conversation <laughs> yeah my wife's like we have to start a college fund i'm like oh honey there's not going to be colleges by then. <laughs> no. what are you talking about i need to teach him how to how to drive stick and wheel the chainsaw yeah yeah you're going to have to start a uh an oxygen and water fund that's right yes <laughs> Jesus, it's not funny fuck fucking so bleak um, is, wait yeah. so when you were growing up did you know you wanted to be a writer yeah, pretty much yeah i mean i i figured that out. i i wanted to do movies first 
Um, I knew it would be movie-related. Like, I got a, uh, mm-hmm. uh, oh, my God, I, I saved up when I was a kid and bought a Super 8 movie camera. Do you even know what that is? Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> vaguely. I mean, I wouldn't know how to operate it's, one, it's but I've filled. seen them in it's movies. It's film. Yeah. <laughs> we had to, not only did you have to save up for the camera, you had to save up and buy film and then get it processed. And and I would make these terrible out-of-focus movies. Um, I remember, my, oh, my God, my, my best friend in the world, Paul Ozorko, absolute genius kid. He would build um, beautiful HO scale buildings that would be HO scales the scale of your model trains. He played with model oh, trains and he would by hand build these buildings that looked incredible, like tiny little wow. things. And I still remember like I talked him into letting me set fire to a whole bunch of them for a movie. And, 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 and it didn't even, and I'd forgotten I hadn't used focus properly. Oh no. <laughs> so it was just gone. And he was still my friend. So yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so it was Wait, like it was s- make movies, and you know we designed. We didn't think about writing them. We'd be like, "Here's what's going to happen," and then I was a voracious reader, and I sort of slowly got into the notion of writing. Um, and then I had a ninth grade English teacher who changed my life, who just was like, put me put me on the path without knowing it, like to, to Ooh, become a writer. How so? Um, oh my god! I mean, you want uh, it's probably a five minute story, but you're going to cry. Do you want to hear it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to try not to cry. I've had, so, a, I've had a week. But. <laughs> so so I'm going to cry. I'm going to try not to cry. So um, her name is Janet Goldstein. Is She's still around. And she turned me on to this writer, Harlan Ellison, who's one of the great short story writers, science fiction writers of the 20th century. And um, Harlan uh, also wrote the most popular episode of Star Trek ever, the best of any oh. of the Star Trek series. Um, he dabbled in TV and film, but mostly he was you know, short stories. Uh, he wrote the one where Kirk goes back in time and falls in love with Joan Collins in the Depression, which if you yeah, haven't cool. seen is like the, I have not seen it. and every time they do a poll of like the best episodes of all, it mm-hmm. always comes in number one, no matter how many, you know, it's just the greatest. And I read this book of short stories and I literally remember getting halfway through and going, I need to be a writer. I want to do what this guy does. And, um, and so I was sort of off and running and, and, um, you know, sort of ended up working in Hollywood where I'd always wanted to and, and. So for, and I not only got to um, meet Harlan, mm. uh, uh, he invited me to write something with him. Whoa. And we became, I mean, literally he would tell anybody, and it was always sort of awkward because he had a lot of friends, but for the last 12, 13 years of his life, he would tell you that like I was his closest friend. And I mean, oh, we were literally, so I mean, it was amazing. We just clicked. Um, we would do live events together. I always introduced him. I mean, it's funny, but it's true as my uh, uh, second father and first child. Um, Harlan passed away a few years ago, but he lived well into his 80s. And there was a documentary uh, being made about him. When we worked together, we wrote, um, we adapted a short story of his for a TV show called Masters of Science Fiction. Mm-hmm. And it was a load of fun. And we got to go to Canada when they made it. And their cast was Brian Dennehy and John Hurt. I mean, it was just, it was ridiculous. Oh, wow. And uh, uh, so this documentary crew followed us there. And they, a guy named Eric Nelson made a fantastic documentary about Harlan called Dreams with Sharp Teeth, which I cannot recommend highly enough, even though I'm in it. I, I'm conflict of interest, but it's great if, you, if you're listening to this and going, oh my God, I love Harlan Ellison. You need to watch this because it really does give you a sense of him. And uh, the movie came out and because Harlan and I were the sort of like great team, I mean, he was brilliant and hilarious and I was really good at kind of being a straight man. I would do a lot of Q&As with him at film festivals and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, we got to do it uh, at Lincoln Center. We got to show the film at Lincoln Center. And 
I invited my ninth grade English teacher who I had reconnected with. Oh, God, I love that. Um, And I had been, my mom's an English teacher. And, you know, I'd been just recently, a couple years earlier, I'd gone through this whole Oscar thing. And I'd been making a living as a writer for a while. And my mom was like, you got to get in touch with Janet and thank her. And I kept going, like, Mm -hmm. I need to wait. It can't, it's not enough. Like, it's got to be better than just I'm making a living. And then it was like, then I got nominated for an Academy Award. I was like, now I can get in touch with her. Yeah. (laughs) Because I don't want her just to, I want to be her favorite student now. (laughs) (laughs) You know? It's like competitive. Fuck you, Danny Danenbaum from ninth grade. How dare you? So, um, Yeah, so we'd, we'd been in contact, and she knew I knew Harlan. She was back in Philly. And um, I actually wasn't going to go to the New York screening because uh, I'd done a bunch of these things, and it was sort of mm-hmm. the end. We we'd sort of it came up at the last minute. And I had tickets to see Bruce Springsteen in L.A., which Ooh, is sort yeah, of like, that's, that's my religion. Come on. And and I was like, yeah, I can't, I can't go. And somebody, um, oh, no, and then so I got Janet and her husband tickets to the screening, in New York. I was like, they'll go to New York and I'll make sure they meet Harlan. And she writes back. She's like, oh my God, thank you so much. And, you know, she was a giant fan of his. And she goes, are you going to be there? And I'm sitting there and I was about to write back like, no. And then I'm like, what a fucking dickhead. I'm like, of course I have to. I mean, you got to go to that, right? Yeah. So I gave my tickets to my friend. I got on an airplane. I remember the plane's taking off and my friend's texting me from the show. And it's like, this is the first time this had happened at a Springsteen show. He's like, oh my God, Tom Morello just showed up. They're playing Tom Jones. I'm going, fuck. <laughs> I go to New York. We go to Lincoln Center. We screen the movie. I'm sitting next to Janet. I've already introduced her to Harlan. She's like, oh, this is great. And um, uh, she doesn't know I'm in the film. And then I pop up in the film. She's like, oh my God, he's in the film. Oh, and she's sort of having this moment. And then a little bit later, I pop up in the film again. And I'm holding the book that she turned me on to. And I start talking about her in the film. And she's like, oh, god like blowing her mind and i'm like yeah i got you and at the end of the movie um harlan and the director get up on stage and harlan points to he says you remember the scene when my friend josh is talking about his ninth grade english teacher Jared goldstein and he goes that's her right there tonight so i got oh, my I ninth grade english teacher a standing ovation at lincoln center <laughs> Oh my God, I love that so much. <laughs> and it's just like, I'm like nothing, like everything else is just gravy. It's just. Uh, yeah, what a beautiful way to be able to repay someone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I it just, it was, oh my God, it was so much fun. Because especially most, I mean, maybe it's different in big cities, but growing up in a small town, it doesn't matter what your interests are. Teachers are always like, okay, well, why don't you look into being a teacher or a cop or a nurse? Or work at a steel mill. Like, that's it. And it's, you know, anything you might have an interest in, they're like, nah, that's not realistic. Don't be stupid. Uh, yeah, I had plenty of those, too. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, you're just, you, I, I was so lucky to have that one, you know. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, uh, it was an amazing experience. And then we all went out to dinner and Harlan got into a fight. So, which is a, <laughs> which is a thing he did. So she got the entire experience. She was so happy. <laughs> that's really funny. By the way, I think that that's the Bruce Springsteen concert I was at because I, uh, <laughs> Tom Morello came out. I actually met him like a week oh, later, weirdly. God. Yeah. It was like the first yeah, time they did out. Ghost of Tom Joe together. It was yeah. Literally it was, the first time they ever did that. Yeah. It was a, it yeah. was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, so sorry yeah. you missed it. <laughs> I'd, gone the, I'd gone the night before. We got my guess. It was yeah. all right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's going to keep touring. It's not yeah. like he's gone now. Um, and I've seen that's... him 714 times. So. <laughs> Which is not enough somehow. Correct. Um, <laughs> so wait, did you, I assume then you went to college for screenwriting? Yeah, not for screenwriting, no. 
Um, I did uh, a brief a brief stint at Temple University in Philly, which is great, great college, and they had a terrific film mm-hmm. school. But it was um, I found it frustrating when I got into the production end of it that I had you know I, I made more movies by myself um, than I got to kind of once I got into film school, and I was getting frustrated by that. Mm-hmm. I got some great classes had great classes and teachers and actually the english department um that were teaching film kind of as literature and those were really really great and they had a couple of really good film theory teachers in the in the film school and but the opportunity came up to come out to la and get a job as a production assistant on uh, a movie that a brother of a friend's wife was producing mm-hmm and, you know, if, if, if you're a certain type of person, that's literally all you need to put everything into a suitcase, chuck everything yeah, and move absolutely. to L.A. Because you're like, I've got it. I've got connections. I got it. I'm and good. Yeah. And then I, by the time I got out here, the movie had been canceled. No. And, and uh, <laughs> it was amazing. But, but First of I, all, the move across the country for PA work, yeah. that is already hilarious. It's, it's famously Un- not Unpaid lucrative. PA work. No stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I had saved up. It was ridiculous. and um, But but he got me on the lot when I went in to meet the guy. And it was like, oh, yeah, we're, we're done. He had an office in this, this studio, which is now, what is it? Is it Culver Studios now? It used to be called Laird and in Culver City. And um, uh, so as I was on the lot. And he was like, but there's a ton of productions here. You can go around and knock on doors. I was like, I didn't know anything. So I literally, I did. <clears throat> and um, like the third or fourth door I knocked on, was uh, uh, Canon Films Masters of the Universe with Dolph Lundgren. Mm-hmm. And kind of introduced, my, introduced myself to the production coordinator. And I thought it was very, you know, I knew I was good at sort of bullshitting, but it was very, they were like, hey, great, when can you start? Turned out I found out months later that they, one of the producers had a friend who was a big publisher in New York who had a son named Josh who was going to fly out and work as a PA on the movie. By the time they found out I wasn't him, I was already like working my ass off. And they were like, ah, fuck it, let's keep him. So I kind of lucked into it just by nature of my name. And I don't know, people not paying too much attention as I walked That's, in. The, yeah, I, yeah, I feel like whenever somebody in, you know, somebody, I guess, newer in the industry is like, well, you know, you got to go through this way. or you got, And I'm like, everything is fucking dumb luck. Yep. And I mean, like, work hard and dumb luck and there's no yeah. rules like this yeah. is i've never ever heard of going door to door for a job yeah. in my life <laughs> yeah. and i used to sell coupon books door to door which See, is stupider yeah. was literally like, i was like i've never been in a studio before as far as i know they'll never let me back in so mm-hmm. it's just knock on every door and you're like and and uh yeah just got very very lucky and it seemed so much of it yeah same thing people i was like well how do you get an agent I'm like i don't fucking know I mean, I'll tell you my story. It has nothing to do with you. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's I mean? all it's, it's like, different for every single person. Yeah, exactly. It's like, and and I it's, think, yeah, yeah. they all think there's like a secret handshake or something. Yeah, yeah. The secret handshake is to have a dad in the industry. That's it. Ah, yeah, that helps. So, I mean, my one regret is not having parents in the industry. So <laughs> I, yeah, I really no, fucked if I up. Could, yep. Well, here's my favorite. My, my, um, this is so funny. And people come at me with this every now and then when they find out my... I have this huge, I guess, blended family. Is that the current term? But like my parents got divorced early on, got remarried. I've got steps. I've got halves. My mother's second husband, my stepfather's first wife, um, is an amazing, amazing character actress. Her name is Lois Smith. She's been working since like 1950. Her first movie is East of Eden. Oh, wow. And she won a Tony last year. 
Whoa. And she works all the time and she's amazing. And, and, um, uh, in my family, she's basically my aunt cause it's just easier than explaining that it's my stepsister's mother. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm as close to my stepsister as I am. And, um, every now and people are like, Oh yeah. So that's how you, that's how you got in. You're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I got, I've got an aunt who was acting in Chicago and New York when it, <laughs> Yeah, she just picked up a photo. Is like you need to hire him to write a feature script. That's this is the way people think things work. I'm yes. like other writers can barely get you staffed on a show. Yeah, I mean they could put in a good word, but yeah. I, I mean you know they never know when something is staffing or uh, it's it's um, it is really funny mm-hmm. that people think that. Yeah. So yeah. how did you end up? So when you moved out here and you get you get your job. On you said Masters of the Universe. Am yeah. I saying that right? No, okay. Yes. Uh, you Wait, start you know working. what that is, don't you? I'm like, I, I know what that is, but I'm <laughs> okay, like, good. I'm I'm assuming that I'm going to say it wrong because uh, I okay. say everything wrong. Uh, <laughs> like, oh, that's that's me with names. Mother. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know, and I have stopped caring. I, I mean, there's a restaurant at the end of my uh, block. Oh, I shouldn't say the. It's called one thing, and I call it another thing. It's the so. only thing that's named that in all of LA. So I won't say that that's my neighborhood, but. Uh, <laughs> And I've stopped. I don't remember what it's called. I don't care anymore. My roommates know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, anyway, so you're working on Master of the Universe. Are you still like writing a ton then? Are you, is that, or are you no, writing a ton then? Is that no, the not at all. I spent, I spent a couple of years working crew and those hours are insane. Yeah. I mean, just insane. And this is back in like, you know, late 80s into the early 90s. So it's like, you know, whatever you think, however, whatever kind of slave shop you think the business is now, mm-hmm. I, I promise you it was worse then. So I was like, oh, absolutely. You know, just didn't sleep, just worked all the time. And I remembered it was it was not until like the early 90s that I finally got to sit down and start writing screenplays like spec scripts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually started trying to find work that that uh, was a little more reliable and it gave me time to do that. But so it was a few years of kind of getting to understand the business, getting to understand how movies are made like at a, at a kind of nuts and bolts level. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then meeting people, you know, I got to meet a bunch of, uh, I met an amazing, um, uh, a guy named Randy Frakes, who was at the time dating a woman who was a production manager on a film I worked on. And I ended up working with her on a couple of films. And Randy was this amazing mentor. He was a great screenwriter. He had, um, but he was really, really, really good at kind of finding the writer in you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he wrote stuff like Hell Comes to Frogtown and these kind of like deliriously bonkers, low budget straight to video films. But mm-hmm. he also like, he had a couple of other friends that he helped turn into writers. One of whom was Jim Cameron. Um, oh. I mean, like Jim was literally sleeping on Randy's sofa uh, when he went off to meet with Arnold Schwarzenegger to discuss doing Terminator. Oh, wow. I mean, that's like in there, there, they'd come up together doing special effects together. And Randy was just one of these guys who um, loved talking writing. And I had written the, the, the first, my first attempt at a, like a, a script since I'd sort of gotten into the business and it was a short and I gave it to him. And this is the thing that I'm sure, I mean, you, you, everybody who comes out here has some version of this story. Like I come from somewhere. I was great. I ruled the pond that I used to swim mm-hmm. in. I came out here and why don't they worship me? What the fuck? And I was yeah. like, I handed him the script fully prepared for the response. I always got to my work back home. And Randy proceeded to take it apart line by line and tell me every fucking thing that was wrong with it. And there was probably a minute or two of shock. And then I was like, no one's ever done this before. And I loved it. It was like, no one has ever taken the time. Because he wasn't sitting there going, you're oh, an yeah. idiot. This is awful. He's like, here's what you need to do. This is why this doesn't work. Here's why you did that. And I'm like, oh my God. 
and and kick my and he did that then i wrote a feature and he did that with that and very quick at some point very early on uh, he was like hey let's write something together so i was like oh okay so that's clearly i'm listening and clearly you know and and that's how i sort of got into writing seriously was was by him kind of kicking my ass and then kind of giving me the thumbs up and inviting me to write something with him which was incredible experience yeah well and it's great that you uh, you know after you get over the shock of like oh fuck i'm not a genius Mm -hmm. um that you took that feedback because so many people oh i mean friends of mine are like how fucking dare they tell me and i'm like well they are they do have a lot more experience than you and then it just keeps them in their place they don't grow they don't get anything because it's like you're unwilling to take feedback because you're so convinced that you're a genius and it's like no you're not well don't don't you learn i mean god you're a comedian i mean jesus Mm -hmm. christ i i I took a whack at that a long time ago at stand-up yeah and the thing that hit me really really fast was that of all the things you could do every other art form i think there's there's a there's one step removed from the audience Mm-hmm. Um, you don't like the movie I wrote? Well, director fucked it up. You know, you don't yeah. like my book? Well, it's, you know, whatever. I got edited. It's 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 a it's a narrative. Maybe you don't like the story. You don't like mm-hmm. my performance in a film. While well, I'm stuck, but you're doing stand up comedian. It's like, oh, you don't like me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I can't hide. I think what helps me is the people I like like me. And so, you know, I've started posting more on socials because, you know, the kids say we have to do that now. And uh, the people that leave shitty comments, like sometimes I don't I mostly don't look at them at all, but they don't bother me because I'll look at it and I'm like, oh, that, oh, you're all ugly. You're like proper, like officially <laughs> ugly. Oh, God. And I'm like, I don't need your opinion yeah. on me. I don't care. You know, yeah. or it's like somebody that can't spell. And I'm like, I wouldn't. It would, it would hurt me if, like, you know, Chris Rock left a comment and was like, this is fucking trash. I would probably oh, just quit. Yeah, no, that stuff. I mean, I, I definitely, I, I, have, I have skin like a fucking tank when it comes to that shit. But I'm just talking about, like, you're standing on it. When you're doing your thing, yeah. Yeah. you're standing up on a stage. Like, and I know every community I know has had this night. We've also, and they're just not laughing. Oh, yeah. Like, that's. Yeah, I've done a like, full headlining set with no laughs. Oh, that's, God. How I mean, you- it was like 2016. Oh, it was it was awful. And it was like, what was worse was a friend I hadn't seen in years who had never seen my stand up came out to the show. And, you know, you've you know, you've like really eaten it when there's just silence afterwards. They don't even ask if you want to go get dinner. They're like, <laughs> I'm going to distance myself from you oh, physically, no. emotionally. Yeah. <laughs> so (laughs) you you get that feedback and you're working and you you start writing with randy when did you feel like you were breaking in i mean that's such a you know it's funny too because at least it used to be things have changed so much but but for a long time at least the the sort of the rule was as a screenwriter it'll take you 10 years Mm -hmm. and you know, as, as much as I was committed to being in it for the long haul, I know that if someone had like, you know, if God had stepped down and said, it will take 10 years, I'd have been like, oh, fuck this noise. <laughs> yeah. But but it was it was 10 years. I mean, I, um, you know, I had been writing stuff, you know, I mean, breaking in and, and making a living are two different things, I think. And I was sort of making a, squeaking out a living writing really terrible straight-to-video movies. I had had a script early on that I um, wrote with a friend 
uh, option by some producers that ended up being made by a company called New Image. I mean, when it started, mm-hmm. um, it was originally this great director, Peter Medak, who did like um, um, Let Him Have It and uh, The Ruling Class, and there was going to be Gabriel Byrne and Stephen Ray. And then by the time it happened, it was this director who had done a bunch of straight-to-video sexy time movies and Casper Van Dien in one of his very first roles. And, you know, it was like... <laughs> It was a catastrophe. <laughs> it was so bad. It was such an awful, awful, awful. I can't want to say it was, not, it was an awful movie. Not an awful experience because I mean I got to go to El Paso because the director and the producer did major rewrites on my script. Mm-hmm. It had this twist ending at the end, this sort of big reveal, which they thought would be fun to start the movie with. And I kept going, "That's a bad idea." Now you're gonna. And then I get these frantic phone calls going, we need a twist ending at the end of the movie. Can you come down here and write one? And I was like, all right, sure. And I got to go hang out on the set. And mm-hmm. I will tell you something, the first time you walk on a set, even if it's a set of a movie you know is going to stink, mm-hmm. and you look around and like everybody here is working and doing something because, you know, me and my dumbass buddy sat down one night and had a couple of drinks. And I'm like, hey, what if this guy robbed a bank? You know? Yeah. I mean, that was kind of amazing. And I had a blast hanging out down there. And I managed to get... Um, a friend of mine is a terrific character actor named John Bishop. Got, he got cast in the film. So we got to cruise around El Paso for a long time. We weren't working and just drinking carouse and then work on this terrible script. But it got me into a world that sort of doesn't exist anymore of like straight to video kind of mm-hmm. dumb action movies. Um, There's not really to, video now. <laughs> yeah, or everything is yeah. video at the same time. It's yeah. so weird, you know. But mm-hmm. I mean, like I wrote a... Uh, I did a major rewrite, ended up sort of changing up this movie um, with Eric Roberts called Hitman's Run, which is, um, I'll pitch it to you, it's about a hitman and he's on the run. <laughs> and yeah, right? stuff like that, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was doing that for a long time and while I was making just enough that I could sort of like support myself. And then while I'd be working on that by day, by night, I'd be kind of writing spec scripts that were theoretically better than that to sort of get me mm-hmm. out. And... Um, uh, somewhere along the line, I, I just got fed up with that stuff. Um, I just couldn't do it anymore. The worst script I'd ever written based on the worst book I'd ever read uh, got made into a movie. And I still haven't seen it. And, no. um, <laughs> was it. Was that bad? I Who knows? The movie may be watchable. It, it was um, hilariously, my friend Randy uh, had done some work for the company. I had written the script. I couldn't crack it. They went to like five other writers, including some really respectable or semi-respectable ones that I know, and they couldn't crack it. And finally, Randy did. We didn't work on the script together at all. And the finished product, actually, we have our name together on the on this mm-hmm. movie, which we'd always wanted to do something together. And here it is, one of the worst things either of us ever wrote. <laughs> but I just got kind of fed up with that. And um, uh, I got really stoned one night and tried writing high. Never done that before. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I found I couldn't plot for shit, but I could write these hilarious monologues. And I had written this monologue. Oh, God, how do we, I wasn't going to talk about this. Um, somebody, <laughs> somebody always, uh, you know, I've written a bunch of movies about people who like murder people and, sure, yeah. you know, and nobody thinks I've like done that. Um, but you write one three minutes short about a guy fucking a dog when he's a teenager. And it's <laughs> like, it's, I don't know where it came from. And it is literally this great actor who's a friend of a friend. He came in and he just delivers this wistful monologue about having sex with his dog when he was a kid. And, his performance is so good. I think it was the first time we really learned how actors could save your ass that mm-hmm. the people you'd think 
I mean, there's certain movies you're like, okay, my guy friends will like this, but women are going to think it's this guy. Mm-hmm. Women, women loved it more than anyone because his performance is so heartfelt. It's this weird, yeah, I can't describe it to you. We got into a film festival, the LA Film Fest, and um, uh, this producer I knew was impressed enough with it that um, he asked if I had any like features I wanted to write. And so I ended up, I had this idea, I'd, I'd always hated the big chill and wanted to kill everyone in it. And so I wrote a, um, uh, basically, it's, you know, an unofficial remake of The Big Chill with zombies. So okay. upgraded to like my generation. So it's all these like 80s rejects uh, going off for the weekend at a dead friend's funeral. And then basically zombies that are infested with killer flies come and kill them all. And we made it for like a million dollars. And I wrote it in like three weeks. And, uh, I got oh, wow. To, and I got to direct it, which was a blast. And it did exactly nothing for my career. Um, <laughs> it was so much fun. It's I mean, still just sounds print. like just a good time. Yeah. Yeah, it was a great time. And it's still in print, which is crazy. You can get it. It's called Infested. It's on, it's on Amazon. It's streaming. I'm, I'm very proud of it. Nine out of ten people are going to think it's terrible. But I, like, I made it for me and a couple of friends of mine and Joe Bob Briggs and, and you know, the great drive-in movie critic. I don't know if you're... Oh, no idea. Joe Bob, Joe Bob saw it and loved it. And I was like, great. Did my work. But... um. While while I was going through that whole process, I was still writing specs and just kind of completely disconnected from the infested experience. I mm-hmm. wrote a spec script that uh, Paramount ended up buying. And then all of a sudden, I was like a studio writer and off and running. So long answer to a short question. I apologize. Yeah, no, was that so f- <laughs> In the Paramount thing, I assume you just showed up and started knocking on doors? No, no. That, well. by then, <laughs> but yeah, exactly. I, I like knocked on the front gate of Paramount. I was like, you guys want my script? Um, no, I'd gotten an agent along the way. And, and uh, you know, because you, you develop fans as a writer. Like there's people mm-hmm. who like your stuff. And, and um, there's a woman producer I had worked with. And, you know, she was like, we've got to get you a good agent. Like you need a good agent. You're better than the, the world you're stuck in. I'm like, I know what, please help. And... Um, she sent uh, uh, like notes to a couple of agents she thought would be good, and they all said, sure, I'll read them. And they sent script to about five people. It was a different script than this one. And six months later, one of them got back to me. And, that's quite a long time. <laughs> yeah, but not, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the thing. And um, uh, he was terrific, and he, he hip-pocketed me, as they say. The agency mm-hmm. wasn't particularly interested, but he sort of took me under his wing. And we had this conversation. The thing I really liked about him, I mean, I liked a lot about him. I still like him. He's still a friend. He retired from the industry at the age of 45, and he's now happy. Um, imagine that. Yeah. But he- uh, What a life. It's insane. He's a yoga instructor now. But I would go to him with any ideas I had, and we'd talk about him because it was like, it's like, great, you're passionate about this, but I can't sell it because X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And so it was good to him. With, you know, It was good to go into him with a couple of different ideas. And I came in with like three or four one day and we kicked them all around and sort of decided that none of them were working. And somehow we got into a conversation. Somebody had just done a remake of The Three Musketeers recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started talking about how bad the new one was. Mm-hmm. And I said something out the car. I was like, how come? Yeah, they keep remaking it, but they never, just like, how come no one's ever done like a modern day one? He's like, I could sell that. And so I ran home and I ended up writing basically, um, it is, so Three Musketeers is LAPD. <laughs> and it's a sort of love letter to old Walter Hill movies from the 70s and 80s. And as well as the great 
Richard Lester version of those movies with um, uh, Michael York and Oliver Reed, which if you haven't seen are some of the oh, greatest yeah, no movies. Idea. Mm -hmm. And I named all the characters in it after the actors who played them in those versions. Oh, I love and, that. And we sold it to Paramount for like an obscene amount of money. And it was like, ah, I mean, literally life-changing scenario where I was... Um, uh, in fact, I still I still the ticket somewhere. I went, my friend Dan and I go to a ton of movies where we used to. And it was a Friday. And I remember I got the call that Paramount was interested in it when we were at the Banger Sisters starring Goldie Hawn. Oh, God. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> and, I think and I was I get, in high school. And then I got the call with their actual offer during Ballistic X versus Sever. <laughs> Oh, no, I do. With Antonio Banderas. Truly terrible action <laughs> film. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it was like that. That was it. And then all of a sudden, I was working on that. And and now you're in that studio system. So you're going up for meetings on like studio films. And mm -hmm. literally, the first job I got after that was uh, History of Violence. That's crazy. Yeah. That's yep. really quick. I mean, also, what a good agent to know. Like, oh, well, you said this thing off the cuff. Like, that'll, that'll sell. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's wild. So what? So how did? Um, so you were you a? I, sorry, I don't know how this fucking works at all. Yeah, because I don't know features at all. Um, but were you like assigned the writing project for a history? No, of violence? no, no. So so what happens? It's a funny story. The um, my agent's former assistant, who was the guy who actually had to read my script that I submitted and then go to mm -hmm. his boss, hey, you should read this guy, had now become an executive at New Line. And, um, hey, enough time's passed. I don't have to be delicate. I, I had bought the graphic novel of A History of Violence when it came mm -hmm. out because it was a great title. Um, the writer had done some stuff I had liked. And I read the back. I was like, it was a good description. It sounds like an interesting story. I bought the graphic mm -hmm. novel. And I was so fucking disappointed in it because I just felt like they had taken this amazing premise and just squandered it. And a great title. Mm -hmm. And my friend Kale had been over at my house one day. And he's like, hey, do you know this? Have you heard of a graphic novel called History of Violence? I go, oh, yeah. Why? He goes, we're thinking of doing it. I'm like, oh, you don't want to do that. It's and um, our relationship was such that uh, he thought it was funny to call me up and ask me if I wanted to come in and meet on it. <laughs> oh, because you were like, ugh, this thing. Because now, now I'm on the list, you know what I mean? And he was yeah. like, look, don't worry. I've told that I'll take this very short because I've told this a bunch. But it was like, he's like, you're not going to get this job, but I want you to come in. I want the people <laughs> I work with to get to know you so I can bring you in on something you have a chance mm -hmm. at. And I was like, and this is the this is such an important lesson for me, and I think for everyone, the lesson I learned from this experience. I was like, well, I'm not getting it, so I don't have to be faithful to the work. Why don't I, I'll just pitch the version I would have written? Yeah. If I come up with that title and that premise. And when I found out, because they were talking to me and like five A-list writers who were all friends with the head of the studio, you know, and it was like, and what they found out is that like everybody else had read the book and tried to adapt it. And I was like, I'm going to cherry pick the stuff I like, and I'm going to tell my own story. And in mm -hmm. pitching the my version they kind of realized that they didn't really love the book. They just liked the premise. Yeah. And basically, I still remember Kale calling me up. He's like, yeah, uh, you're still not getting the job, but you got the job. <laughs> <laughs> so it was... Um, we. I imagine that was really surprising since you yeah. went in going, I'm not getting the job. Yeah, very, 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 very. I think people also, I mean, to your point that it's a good lesson it's like you get to a certain level because you've been trusting your gut. And then all of a sudden people are like, I feel like people a lot of times shift halfway into their career where they're like, well, I have to write what they, what I think that they want. And it's like, no, yeah. what do you want to see? And it's also like the more you do, because I used to do that at the beginning. I was like, what can I do? What, uh, 
you know, need can I fill for somebody or whatever, which is so ridiculous. And then, but the more you do things that you want to do, the more opportunities you get to do things you want to do. Kind of, yeah. And it and, and the other thing is to just, I mean, I found over the years, like, you know, through through a couple of mistakes of taking jobs I shouldn't have, um, you sort of learn like, oh, I can't do it unless I'm psyched about it. You know, if it doesn't mm -hmm. move me, I can't do it. I can go to the room and I can dazzle you and I can get the job. But the worst thing in the world is getting that job and then going, oh, fuck. Because here's the deal. Mm -hmm. You fuck up enough of those, you're, you're done, you know? Yeah. And it's like, you, you can't do that. And it's so much better to just go in do the thing that, that moves you and, you know, roll, roll the dice. Because you're probably not getting the job anyway. And you're probably, if you do getting the job, you're going to get fired anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so at least yeah. at least fail to get the job on your own merits and get fired on your own merits because that's the only way you're going to do great work yeah. and maybe not get fired, you know? It's almost like it feels like a miracle to make it all the way through a project because like you have, I'm pitching some things right now and one thing has started to move forward and I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. But it feels like being on a tightrope, tight, tight, mm -hmm. tightrope, a tightrope across the Grand Canyon where you're like, okay, so I'm at the halfway point, but I can still fall off into the fucking canyon at any time. Yeah. yeah. It's really, so how long was the process for uh, for that film, for a history oh, of that one, It was insanely quick. I mean, it's like I wrote the script in a couple of, eight weeks maybe. Um, they loved the script. They went out with it. The longest period was when they were out to directors and then out of nowhere, David Cronenberg, like one of my favorite filmmakers alive, uh, decided that he'd wanted to make a studio film. He'd been out, you know, the last one he did was his movie Spider with Ray mm -hmm. Fiennes, which is a great film, but like very much an art house. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's Ray Fiennes playing a schizophrenic. Oh. And it's practically a one-man show. You know, it's just him stumbling around London going, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. never going to be anybody's hit, you know? And he wanted to do a movie that would, get him some enough cachet to go off and do more of the kind of movies he really wants to make. And um, th then we didn't think that the studio would go with him because he'd had a couple of films that were sort of more out there and hadn't been hits. And then somehow magically uh, they ended up hiring him to do the film. And, you know, I mean, the whole, the whole process was from, from going into me on the job to like, you know, being in a theater, watching the movie was less than two years, which oh, is Oh, wow. That's, that feels really quick. And it was super fast. It was every step of the way with a few minor bumps. It was it was incredible. You know, I had written it with Vigo in mind because mm -hmm. I had loved the Sean Penn movie, The Indian Runner, which you sound like you're enough of it. Do you know do you know the film? I don't. It's, I've, it's a great I've movie. I've seen it's, a remarkably small amount of films. <laughs> it's it's based on the Bruce Springsteen song Highway Patrolman. Which is oh, okay. Yeah. And, I will check and, that out immediately. And Vigo's incredible in it. And then he had just done Lord of the Rings, so all of a sudden he's a star. So he could do so. So it was like in my head, it was like Vigo, and then we get Vigo. Um, and there's, you know, then Maria Bello, and then William Hurt, and then Ed Harris. And you're like, this is crazy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then we get our, our date, and I'm, I'm everything, you know, when to start shooting, and it's all happening very quickly. And, and then the film's done, and, and, and I'm still, as, as much as everything that involved with that movie was a whirlwind, I'm still having to like every week or two explain to my mother that no no it's still happening don't worry like, why is this taking so long <laughs> well if the movie's done why do we have to wait till october to see it <laughs> that's hilarious so we after yeah. it was uh was it one of the like when you first saw it whatever first mm -hmm. screening that you saw were you like oh this has uh potential to be nominated oh god no no, I mean, it, it's the first time I'd ever seen something I'd written that, that wasn't terrible. 
Um, and and which is a weird scenario. I was doing a project with Dennis Lehane at the time, who had just had, um, I think Mystic River was the only thing he had made at that point. But I remember calling him up and being like, Dennis, what the fuck? I saw this film. I, I don't know what. It... And he was like, yeah, the first time I saw my movie, he's like, the best you can do when you see something that you've written is, mm-hmm. um, well, they didn't fuck it up. Like, yeah. you, you know, I know every step. I'm not, you're not going to get me. I know that Vigo really is the guy, you know? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I can see the ending coming a mile away. <laughs> it's like, so there's no, it was just really weird. And um, uh, I remember thinking, which I thought on the set, I was there when, I, I made a point of being up there to see, like, yeah, I was up there for a couple of weeks and I was there when Ed Harris finished up and when William Hurt started. And I remember watching William Hurt go to work and going, Jesus Christ, this movie's ruined. Like, he's so insane. It doesn't fit at all. <laughs> and then and then seeing the film and then seeing the movie and feeling the same thing, but finally getting to see the movie with an audience mm-hmm. and, and getting to see how he actually worked and realizing that what he was doing was kind of brilliant. And it's literally now if I ever do, you know, you still do Q&As for the things. People still talk about that freaking movie. It's amazing. And I show up to do a Q&A and I'll always make sure to show up for the last 15 minutes so I get to see Bill do his thing because he's my mm-hmm. favorite part of the movie now. And I can tell you, I can tell you the socks I was wearing the first time they, <laughs> like Cronenberg called action on William Hurt because I was just like looking at them going, my career's over. It's over. Oh my God. <laughs> they found his great It's like actor. a core memory. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I was like, he's so bad. What's he doing? He's ruining my movie. Oh my fucking God. No one's saying anything to him. What the fuck is wrong with these people? That's hilarious. I mean, that's got to be torture to like, I mean, it's my, I guess, biggest experience with writing was writing on the Jim Jeffries show and you're submitting jokes Mm -hmm. and a monologue and whatever. And then, you know, you get to the table read and I'm like, oh, not even a single fucking word I wrote is in this. (sighs) Cool. And like, that's hard enough. I can't imagine watching an entire film you got made and everyone else's decisions around it because then it's it's there it's in their hands it's the director yeah. it's the producers it's the actors and it's like there's no, not fuck all you can do yeah yeah you can't stand up and run up to William Hurt and go what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> <clears throat> thank you god imagine? by the way thank god um can you imagine yeah and here's the weird thing I got, I got to know him really well and I loved him I mean of, of all the of all the actors on that he's he's the one I developed any kind of you know, closeness with um, while we were there. And uh, um, he, I remember him basically telling me at the premiere uh, that, you know, he, he would be seeing me again. It's a long story. I'd love to tell it sometime. But, um, and I remember going to the Academy Award nominees luncheon. And this, all the press, you know, you walk in, there's all mm-hmm. this press. And if nobody else is there, they'll shoot you. Well, they'll shoot me. They, you know, <laughs> like, oh, it's this guy. And then you, you there's all this moment where you feel it go like, whew. Like the wind yeah. is, they all turn because somebody they know has come in. And I didn't even get a chance to turn around. His hand comes out on my shoulder and he's like, I told you. And I turn around and it's fucking Bill Hurt because the two of mm-hmm. us were the ones who got nominated for that. And he's like, I told you we'd be here. I love that. We, that <laughs> must have been the most fucking surreal experience. I mean, oh, not to. God, it, yeah. Yeah. It, I feel like everyone. Well, to some, except for psychopaths, most people have a little <laughs> bit of like <laughs> imposter syndrome or how the fuck did I get here? Sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's really wild. That is really wild. So wait. It's, it's, yeah, no, yeah. And, and my favorite thing to this day is, um, you know, I mean, we met doing a political podcast, so you know, you know, I'm pretty political, but every now and then, oh my God, there's nothing worse. Like, like there's a certain type 
of what do you want to say, conservative Democrat, shall we say, whose mm-hmm. favorite response to you know if if you say anything slightly critical of not, you know Joe Biden or Hillary Clinton mm-hmm. is to come at you personally. <laughs> and and I have in my you know yeah, come on man it's in my profile like Oscar nominated screenwriter and I love when they look it up and they're like oh yeah like you lost the Oscar You're like yeah yeah that that hurts it's the most painful thing in my life <laughs> you're like I was nominated I only for an got Oscar. nominated for it. <laughs> you're like there's only been you know oh, a, a finite number of people in history there's five a year you schmuck yeah I know exactly and it's like yeah you hurt me I'm dying oh my god you got me with oh, that yeah. one. <laughs> oh no that's uh that's hilarious well and if you had one they'd be like you only have one that's right you only have one or something fucking or, loser yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I wrote I wrote the afterword to a book of Harlan short stories, and I my afterword is titled "Notes from an Academy Award Loser." <laughs> <clears throat> That's great. A friend of mine, a friend of mine, uh, wrote on Samantha B. He was one of the head writers, and every year when they lost, he would update his bio, and it'd be like six time Emmy loser. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. Like whatever. here's what I'll tell you: that there are people. Someday, if I, uh, next time I see you when we're not recording, I'll tell you some of their names because they're huge. But there are people who are get very upset if they don't win. Oh, I'm sure. I and mean, it's look, fucking hilarious. It's probably <laughs> not uh, the best feeling to get that close and not get it. But it's also like, oh my god, who well, fucking it, cares? I, I also got really lucky in that I was up against um, Brokeback Mountain, and oh, uh, yeah. I, I got to know the the writers of that. Uh, Larry McMurtry, you know, one of America's greatest writers, and his partner Diana Sato, who's an amazing mm-hmm. writer and still a good friend. And it was their year. I mean, they won everything. We did all these, we went to all the award shows together, and they, they yeah. won everything. So it was like, there was no suspense in our category whatsoever. Yeah. So it was yeah. like, go off to these incredible things, pick up some great swag, eat some amazing food, hobnob with George Clooney at the bar, get hammered, and then watch your friends win an award for a fucking yeah. great movie, you know? And it was like, but there was there was one person in our category, I remember at the end, because the Oscars basically come last after all that stuff. And this guy had been fairly pleasant all up, but I remember him him sort of walking out of the ceremony. I'm like, you, you going to the dinner? They had this dinner, this huge dinner. I met, I'm like, God, it was just like, it was, it was crazy. And he's like, I'm going home. Fuck this shit. Why go through all this if you're not going to win anything? He goes. Yeah. <laughs> I met Lauren McCall at that fucking dinner. <laughs> yeah, it's also like, what the fuck else are you doing? Yeah, really. What, what are you, you gonna... talking about? <laughs> exactly. What are you going to spend tonight doing? It's like, <laughs> oh no, they got me a limo. I have to go to the Vanity Fair party. Oh uh-huh. shit. <laughs> it's. I mean, the thing that kills me too about any of that. It's it's really stunning to me how many people just don't appreciate things in yeah. this industry, whatever they're getting. Because I'm like, my entire family builds skyscrapers and bridges, and they work in they work in steel mills. They do hard work for half the money I make. Right. They're putting their lives on the line. They would, I'm sure, they would fucking love to just cruise around in a limo and get hammered all night. <laughs> yeah, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Well, here's the price you have to pay, though, Lisa. Uh huh. You gotta. You're probably gonna lose the Oscar. <laughs> I mean, you know what? Honestly, great point. Not worth it. <laughs> Fuck it. Forget it. I'll stay home and watch Netflix. <laughs> it was. It was insane. It was so much fun, and it was such a weird. Um, you know, it was just an interesting time in a world that that I'm not really part of, but I guess sort of. Mm-hmm. And I got to know people who. You know, you get a strange taste of it. I mean, I got to know Heath Ledger really well, and I kind of got to understand the, mm. you know, the bubble he lived in, which was 
a much larger version of a tiny bubble I lived in for a few minutes. And mm-hmm. I was like, I cannot imagine what it'd be like having to deal with that every day. You know, the yeah. guy like got up and even if it's what you wanted, like everywhere you go, everybody knows you and you're constantly expected to present something, you know, yeah. to the world and there's no fucking escape and you have to keep working. Yeah. And it's just. Yeah. It's weird because I'm like, in a way, I'm working towards that because it's like right. the success I want comes with that. But also yeah. it's like when I, I opened for Jim Jeffries a, like a a year ago in L.A. and he's friends with Brad Pitt and Brad Pitt showed up and people like treat him like he's a wax figure or a right. piece of furniture or something where they're just like secretly taking pictures of him across the room and like being <laughs> super weird to him. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. Oh God! Yeah, that seems like you're not like you use your lose your humanity. Yeah, because you become this like object. It's yeah. very very. No, it's, it's weird watching that, and it was interesting getting because you get this kind of entree into that world where, um, you know, you're in a room with like someone like Brad Pitt, and because you're in that room in those circumstances, there's a reasonable you can have a conversation where, you know, if you're not weird, he won't be weird. But you yeah. get a sense of how those people have to deal with that shit and why yeah. a lot of them sort of just stay within that bubble, you know, where they don't have to deal with the world ever because the world's fucking weird to them. It's, yeah. It's like, why would you, you can't, ha- I mean, even like my, and I wonder if now I'm getting way off track again, but even where I'm at, I've had friends that have like gotten weird to me or somebody's, somebody has, I'm, I was dating this guy for a while who was uh on television and i had friends of mine that were like oh yeah i want to come visit you just have him buy me a plane ticket and i'm like what the fuck is wrong with you and it was i'm like i'm already kind of phasing people out of my life where i'm at now i can't i can't imagine it whatever anyway (laughs) that sounds like some kind of strange brag and it's uh it's not it's creepy no no it's not (laughs) i mean that's the thing i i I get it but i also get that there's a world in which just discussing that sounds that way yeah 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 it sounds really gross but we get it because we're superstars uh (laughs) exactly exactly right exactly right and uh Uh, so uh of course i was on your podcast a couple of times with dave anthony in which you guys made me watch episodes of the west wing uh, i'm so so sorry unforgivable i'm sorry (laughs) so um what does anyone uh, does anybody uh, else do that i mean i try to pay attention but, but like who else? And now we're doing this thing where we're kind of doing the same. We're doing another show called The Audit where we're making people watch master classes. I mean, does anyone else do this? Like Dave and I track down people the we like and admire I'll and force, we force them to watch terrible shit. Um, like, oh, let's tar- <laughs> like we targeted you. We went after people we like and want to have conversations with and we make them do awful things. And no one has done it. I mean... <laughs> It is kind of hilarious. I I've been on podcasts where you have to write something. I did oh, no. um Oh, never. Uh, a friend of mine has one called It was actually really fun called Never Seen It where you write a script for a movie you've never seen before, but you write it's like four pages. You write okay. a script. And so he has another person on the podcast and they act it out. Um and it was I did Drive because I'd never seen Drive. I know that's like a sin. Um, oh, wait, so you you write the script for the movie you think yeah, to move. Oh, I love but that. I think it is. And it's weird because he was like in all the time and I was just being silly, but he's like in the whole in the six years or whatever he's had the podcast. He's like, that's the closest anyone's come to the actual film. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, fucking. Well, then I don't need to see it. I'm oh my good. God. 
I'm saying like I hate nothing worse than like I, I writing for free. But um, um, it, it, I would do Top Gun in a heartbeat. You've never seen that? Never. No. It's it's excessively corny. I've seen it once because it was like a thing you have to do, yeah. you know. And then I was like, I'm I'm good. I think I could nail that bad boy. Yeah, I think I think you could. You should do that <laughs> podcast. <laughs> tell tell him up for it. It's a lot of fun. So besides uh, your podcast where you torture people, what else are you working on right now that you're excited about? Oh, God. Well, I, I, you know, the thing, the thing, there's this kind of peacefulness to that period when you're somehow making just enough money to survive and scrambling to get in where, like, I remember I was living in a uh, two, I had rented two bedrooms in a flop house. And, and I went to work in a coffee shop every day, writing in a coffee shop every day mm-hmm. on one script. And and there was a kind of wonderfulness to that because it was like, what are you working on? I'm working on this script. These days, and I think it's this way for everybody now, but certainly like you know, once you start kind of making a living, I'm working on three different things. I'm developing two pitches. I'm, I'm kicking around a couple of things with a couple of people. I mean, it's just like there's so many things that you end up working on. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Because you're juggling all these balls. I mean, the thing I'm um, very excited about that's sort of like the most kind of concrete at the moment is, this is really funny. I have two podcasts. One is called The Movies That Made Me, which I do with Joe Dante, where we talk to various and sundry people. We love filmmakers and other folks about their favorite movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've been doing it for a couple of years, and we sort of fell into that. And it was sort of Dave's fault. Dave kind of helped talk Joe into doing a podcast, and then Joe said I should host it. And... Um, I sort of promised, and we started out just calling our friends, and now we sort of branched out, and you know, we just did one with Todd Field, who did Tar, and we get all these amazing people in now and talk to them, and it's a lot of fun. And I swore to myself, I've always hated networking, and I was like, I'm never going to use this show to advance myself. That would be creepy mm-hmm. and cheesy, you know. And I'm I'm doing all right. I don't need to do that, and that would be probably more harmful than good anyway. So it's not just an ethical thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but somehow. When I started doing the West Wing thing, which um, I guess for people who don't know is a show that we we just finished a little while ago. My friend Dave Anthony is a comedian and great podcaster, and I do, where we watched every single solitary episode, minus one. There's one episode that has no politics. So we didn't do that. We did an episode of Deep Space Nine instead, which was good. And we dissect every episode of the West Wing for its terrible, terrible, terrible neoliberal politics and discuss how it <laughs> led us to this place we are now, because people still still hold that up as some kind of ideal. And uh, this will be fun because I get to have conversations with people in a whole different arena that I admire. We had a lot of comedians mm-hmm. and we've had a lot of political figures. We had Marianne Williamson on, you know, it was amazing. Whoa. We had Adolf Reed on. I'm like sitting here going, holy shit. Yeah. And I, it did never occur to me to like make that rule about that podcast. And yet somehow through it, I got to know David Sirota and we became friends. He was going through this whole thing with Don't Look Up. And I became, I think, one of his sort of go-to. He'd call me up and go, hey, is this normal for Hollywood shit? And I'd be like, yeah, it's normal. Like, everything's weird here. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. And he ended up um, pitching me. And I have, a, I have a friend that I write with um, sometimes. Uh, my friend John Brancato who wrote the game. And David uh, pitched us this idea that we saw as you know, there was a great sort of, there was some great stuff in it. And we ended up kind of batting it around. And we ended up writing a script. Um, that uh, came out great. It's political and funny and dark and a little bit of a science fiction element. Um, and we weren't 
aiming for comedy, but it's sort of a comedy. And then David gave it to Adam McKay and, and, um, Adam McKay said it like read like a great Albert Brooks movie. And we were like, holy shit. Oh, I love that. And and now he's producing it. So um, that was like, oh shit, that came out That's of that really podcast. <laughs> so that, that I'm hopeful. Yeah. Or we're, we're sort of out to some actors and hoping that happens. And I probably yes, said I more about it. it than I should. Uh, I have no reps right now. So you, yes. <laughs> um, it's a middle-aged guy and, uh, but you'd be great. Um, so that, I mean, that's exciting. I'm, I'm writing some stuff. I mean, it's like, that's really it's, cool. we're gearing up, uh, and then I do the audit with Dave where we're, we've done two master classes. and wait, which, gear- which ones did you do? We did. Well, this came out of a thing we did on the West Wing thing. We got tired of watching the West Wing. So we did the Hillary Clinton master class on, on the I- West Wing thing. Rolled my eyes out of my head when I saw Susie in that. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, and then, uh, in fact, it was Sirota who was like, you guys should do this on the regular once you're done. And so we've been doing these little arcs. So we don't have to do them every mm-hmm. week. And we did a five-piece uh, thing on um, the George W. Bush master class. He teaches. <laughs> that one. Yeah. He, uh, he I te- just, I'm baffled. He, yeah. He teaches uh, uh, leadership. <laughs> And we did that one with Kate Willett, and then we took a few weeks off, and now we've got one that's just dropping now, and we did Carl Rove and David Axelrod. Good um, God, they accept anyone out of that, huh? They're friends. They're good friends. The guy who ran Obama's campaign and the most evil man in politics are close friends, and they teach you how to run a campaign. So we did five weeks of that with Nina, um, Nina Turner, which was unreal. I mean, she's yeah. like just a superhero to me. And we're gearing up. I'm dying to tell you what we're doing next. It's not a master class, um, but but I guess I, I I'll tell you off the air. But okay, we're we're taking on a a great white whale uh, next, and it's going to be a ton of work, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And um, actually, you should probably come join us for some of that because we're going to be doing like a whole bunch of different guests on that one. Yes, I would love it. Whatever you, it is, I can't. You're going to have to watch it. some awful, awful shit. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Truly oh, awful shit. No. Um, but that stuff's so much fun, and I make about eighteen dollars off of it, and. Sometimes it's a lot more fun than like screenwriting. <laughs> yeah. Which is. I mean, I love just talking to people. Not all yeah. people. Some people I talk to, I'd, I'd rather just cut my head off. Well, uh, you're, you're doing the thing here. That's yeah. You're sort of doing, yeah. Because like on both of my shows, it's just have conversations with people you're interested in. You know, yeah. along a theme. It's yeah. like, yeah. It's great. It's great no, fun. fun. Um, well, I have one more question for you that I like to ask everyone before I let oh, you okay. go. Um, if. Your childhood self, like 10-year-old Josh, could meet you now as an adult. What would he think of you? Oh, Jesus Christ. I, I, you know, he'd have, been, he'd have been so fucking impressed that I got to hang out with Harlan Ellison for like 15 years. That would, that would have blown his mind. But um, uh, God, who the, I, I like to think he'd be proud of him. I mean, I, I think I, so. I, I, I'm, I'm always trying to service that kid. I love that. That's really sweet. <laughs> you know, that's like had, what we, that's what we should all be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Cause our adult selves have fucked up, uh, ideas about everything. So yeah, <laughs> it's better and, to and, do what the kid wants. But we're <laughs> fucked up enough that we do that. Like, I mean, you clearly are, are pursuing, um, there's a great line in, uh, what is it called? There's a, there's a wonderful musical that Stu, uh, do you know Stu, the musician from the Negro problem? He's a Mm-mm. amazing singer songwriter. And um, he did a Broadway show called Passing Strange, which is an autobiographical thing. There's a great, I think it's on HBO now. Spike Lee uh, shot the last night of it. It's an incredible musical. Oh, cool. The music's great. And it's just about his time as a young, aspiring artist, black man in France. 
growing up and sort of finding his voice. Mm -hmm. And there's a great moment where everything just stops and he goes like, it's a sobering thought to realize that your entire life has been, you know, laid out for you by a 13 year old. Yeah. But. Yeah, that's a really interesting thought. That's what we're doing, right? I mean, you did not, I'm guessing you didn't go to law school and then one day go, you know, I need to be a comedian. No, no. I mean, I started to go to school for political science, but I didn't, I've, I've always enjoyed it. But I wanted to perform, but it didn't seem realistic. Right. I mean, a blue collar family. They're like, what art? That doesn't even make sense. <laughs> right. You know, and like growing up, I, and I've said this before on here, but growing up, I literally thought like, oh, Jerry Seinfeld and uh, Johnny Carson, they're comedians. And that's that's it. They were yeah. anointed. There's no way to get in. Yeah, you that's can't not be a one thing. of them. It's like, right. it's like being the fucking Pope, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so, they were back then. They were actually anointed by the Pope back then. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but that's changed. Now they let anybody in. So it's uh, it's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but you tell yourself that. At 3 a.m., you're looking in the mirror, aren't you? You're like, they let anyone in now. 100%. Terrible. I'll say yeah. that. I'll say that out loud. <laughs> See, I had a friend that uh, lectured me in the past because she, she was like, Lisa, you can't just decide someone's not a comedian because you think they're not funny. And I'm like, sure can. Sure. <laughs> Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. I am the arbiter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I am the Pope. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for being on today. I won't uh, keep you on and on because I could talk for two more hours. But Oh, thank um, you. Yeah, no, this is a blast. This is a blast. Yeah. I don't even, what, what are we supposed to be talking about? I don't even know what this. No, this, that's oh, it. This it. We did oh, it. Okay. We nailed it. You nailed I don't, it. I don't have to watch a TV show or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'll find something horrible for you to watch after this. Fantastic. Be happy to do it. Thanks so much for listening. Once again, that was Josh Olson. You can find him on Twitter at Joshua R. Olson. And definitely check out his podcasts, Movies That Made Me and The Audit. And of course, I am Lisa Curry. You can find me on Instagram and most other places at Olympian Lisa Curry. And please do. As usual, if you're enjoying the podcast, please, you know, like, subscribe, write a nice comment. Uh, If you have something bad to say, keep it to yourself. Maybe write it on a piece of paper and throw it into a fire. Other than that, we'll see you right back here next Thursday. Bye.